football frenzy. Hey, you hit me so hard down there. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The Football Frenzy on Cofield and Company. All right, here we go. Three o'clock hour. Close things down to five o'clock, as we do every Thursday. Thursday night football. The Jets and the Colts, baby. We'll get you the update on the uh, betting line here at William Hill Racing Sportsbook. Here is Silver Sevens. Right now, the Colts are 10. The total is 45.5. Again, the Colts are minus 10 against the Jets. We got VGK Hockey coming up over on Fox Sports Las Vegas. That's our sister station. Turn us off now. If you want to hear hardcore hockey, 1340-989 FM. Ryan the Hockey Guy hosting the pregame. Puck drop a little after 4 o'clock. Willie, do you have a bet on either one? I have no idea. Are you uh, are you very ethical? I'll put that in quotes. Do you not bet the teams you cover? Do you not bet those games? I, do you stay away? I do. Okay. I do. I, uh, I'll give an opinion on the outcome in terms of win or loss, why each team could possibly do it. When it comes to betting point spreads, I do try to stay away from Raiders games, Golden Knights games. I will give out opinion on totals. And as far as tonight is concerned, I are the Knights a good value? Don't say specifically. Are they a good value at minus one fifteen? Does that seem about right? Yeah. Against Ottawa. Okay. Yeah. Totals five and a half. <laughs> That one's tough, but I, w- I would lean toward the over in that one. Just because, you know, a lot of times you see teams react to what we saw today. They're, what are they missing? Is there a Jack Eichel bump, even though he's not going to play for a while? Sure, because... There's not an Alex Tuck depression, a Peyton Krebs depression? No. Push back on the organization. How dare you make the trade? No, I think there's a little bit of a fire in everybody going, uh, I don't want to lose my spot. Where am I? Who? I got to prove that I belong in this line type of attitude. But I just think they're going to come up fired up more than anything, that they just got shut out in Toronto. And, uh, yeah, they're going to want to show up to against a team, that a very inferior team. This is a cheap price against a scrappy Ottawa team. And I think the Vegas – we. We have said all week that they need to get four points on the road. Four road games in Canada go two and two. They lost one. Now they've got three games left. This is a game that they're going to want to come out fired up. And a Dave Koken specialty, the first period total, I would play this one over. Very emotional day, just like yesterday was, over at the Raiders facility. Willie was down there covering it. Uh, Gus Bradley spoke. Greg Olson spoke. We'll hear from Greg Olson in the 4 o'clock hour. Here's Gus Bradley addressing how the uh, team is doing and their response so far. I mean, it's something that you uh, talk to them about and they talk to each other about. And I think it forces you to pause and just think decisions you make, you know, I, I, I really feel like our team, well, I'm speaking on the defense, has really handled this very, very professionally. In our minds, a professional is you know, a man who can get the job done or a woman who can get the job done no matter how he feels inside. And I think that's what's really been challenged. But uh, you know, I think our guys have done a really good job with that. I, I really sensed it today. You know, this really is a, it's a wacky, tragic situation. 
because while football coaches are you know paid to be leaders, you don't expect to have to lead through and around something like this. So I hope everyone, when they're they're hearing quotes, they're reading quotes, especially because what I'm seeing is a lot of quotes kind of pulled and put into social media. Yeah. And what you're getting is a reaction because you're not hearing or not reading the whole quote where, you know, in part of these press conferences, they're mentioning the victim and saying, hey, this is the most important element of this whole thing with uh, Tina Tintor, the 23-year-old, passing away the other morning. It, it's part of it. It's a big part of it. But that stuff is not featured in headlines. And people with the Raiders are just getting friggin' blasted on social media because, you know, right now we, we're in a – you know, a quick hit, ADHD, you know, read headline society. And listen, I'm not going to kill the rest of the media for doing it. Uh, they're trying to make money. It's a shame that you have, you're trying to freaking almost weaponize this for hits. But that's what's happening. Everyone who has spoken, well, believe me, we'll get to a New York Giant who spoke on it. Uh, he didn't handle it real well. But the Raiders coaches and players who have spoken, they've all mentioned that the most important thing here is the victim, but they've also talked about the other side of it and having to deal with all of this, right, Willie? Yeah, no, and I'm what you just said about pull quotes, 100% guilty today because Greg Olson said something. <laughs> Sorry, just gave you the finger. You just flipped me off. You also have bosses, so, uh, and it's a tough thing. Well, Greg Olson spoke today, but the other thing that you have to remember, when you get flustered with your emotions and your words and being asked about something, you tend to get sidetracked. I do it all the time where I start talking and then you sidetrack and you say something and then you go the other way. And you can't put together a full quote. So you're trying to quote these coaches or the players and get a tweet out because they said something very poignant and then they go a different direction for half a second and then they come back. So, for instance, which we'll probably hear in a little bit, but Greg Olson said something about Tina Tintor and the family and then he followed up with, that he knows Henry Ruggs is not a monster. Then he followed that up with that he made a terrible decision and so on and so forth. I can only get so much of the quote out. Uh, a couple of verified accounts retweeted that, and and now it's gotten you know, 17, 18 uh, retweets, 130 likes. But if you just look at it right here, you don't get the whole context of it. And if I were to try to fit that in the character count, it wouldn't. But in the story... And other people that are going to quote uh, quote that in an article, and which we may hear in a little bit when we pull Greg Olson, you'll hear that he also didn't he didn't just leave it at I also know Henry Ruggs is not a monster. There was more to it. More Gus Bradley. I said it before that players are very very resilient is what I've learned, and I think this situation is no different. They each have their own way of handling it, and I think they needed a day just to kind of go through that, but how they've quickly recovered and kind of, all right, let's go. I mean, that professional word came back into it, and I've heard some of them talk about it that way. So there's some very hard, strong feelings about what took place. You know, they're dealing with it the best they can, but it's not a, a situation where I look at our team and I go, whoa, we've got some work to do to help pull everybody out of this. I think they're helping each other do that, and I think it was showed up today in practice. You know, one thing that I, I will have to say that maybe there is a positive to look back on the John Gruden situation in the fact that they had to bond that locker room and bring it together and overcome an off-field distraction. Um it, it may have helped them this week in saying, hey, we just did this already once. Now we're going to have to do it again. We got to get on the field. We have business to attend to. Um, those of you, you know, whoever spoke, those of you who 
heart is out there for Henry and out there for the Tintor family and so on and so forth. But a few weeks ago, we had to step on the field after getting blasted by the Chargers and Bears and go on the road to Denver. Now this team's got to go on the road to New York. So uh, perhaps the resiliency that they showed a few weeks ago is now sort of helping and strengthening this week. You know, I just said coaches, you know, this is not what they sign up for. They're not speech experts. They're supposed to be leaders. You got to take what comes at you. But something like this is, you know, just unheard of. You know, one of your players crashing and someone dying in the crash. This is really difficult stuff to talk about. And then you've got the players. Yeah. And there were no players available today. But Derek Carr, you know, I, yeah, he's, he's been a criticized guy in terms of his approach and a lot of the quotes he's given over the years. But, man, he's been out front. Uh, he has stepped up and spoken on the subject. And, again, um, he's trying to get he's trying to deal with the emotions and he, he's very connected to the story. Uh, here's some of what he was saying yesterday. I mean, he literally texted me, at, you know, at midnight, a golf swing, you know, hit me and Hunter. How's my swing look? You guys need to help me. <laughs> you know, bro, just seeing that and then getting the news when we woke up. I just like uh, I mean, I don't even know how to how am I supposed to handle that? You know, how am I supposed to react? And uh, I'm, I'm trying my best, doing my best. Uh, but I knew but I do know that God is good. And uh, I'm going to believe that can change uh, situations and do things that, you know, we just we just can't comprehend sometimes. All right. So the, the end stuff with his faith, that can always be debated, right? People get worked up. They get behind him on that one. Put yourself in this position. And I think a lot of people out there have been in positions where there have been tragedies that have happened around them and happened maybe at the hands of one of their friends or family members, right? And then you're thinking what he's verbalizing there is this terrible thing happened. This is the way I see it. This, this terrible thing happened. And he was communicating with the dude hours before it happened. Right. Right? And you're thinking to yourself, all right, this poor woman is gone. Could she have been saved? Ruggs is done for a while. Right? He's potentially ruined his life. Could I have done something about it? And he said he got, he got the text. The, 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 you know, the guy's over at Top Golf. I have no idea if he gave him any details that, you know, he may have been extremely lubed up. And, but you start to think, like, hey, what? Maybe I could have done something. And I don't think there's anything wrong with verbalizing that. But again, the quotes get out there, and it's like, it just, what, what happens is it just sounds like rugs, 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 rugs. They've, they've all talked about. The victim. And, and maybe they could talk about her even more. But their personal connection to the story is rough. Exactly. And I'm not going to, I'm not about to slam my editor or Associated Press in any way, shape, or form. But uh, the story I turned in yesterday, Steve, was, you know, it was supposed to be a reactionary piece on, because you had heard all the details leading up to it. And in my story, it started off with the interim coach, Rich Basaccia, in that he w it said, you know, Raiders coach, interim coach, Rich Basaccia, said Wednesday, the important thing to remember with, fo or with football a few days away, the important thing to remember is that Tina O. Tintor lost her life. In the middle of the story, when I introduced Carr and his emotions and everything, it put in there that Carr said, you know, that someone needs to be there for rugs, and then the quote about if nobody will love him, then I'll, if nobody else is going to do it, I'll do it. That got moved to the lead of the story. 
Derek Carr says that Henry Ruggs needs love, blah, blah, blah. That was the headline. That's the, that's the attention grabber. Play yeah. a little more Carr for me here. I will tell you, I walked by and I you know, saw Henry's locker today, and for whatever reason, that got me. He's not, he's not going to be there, you know, um, not because he's fast, not because of what he could do for me, but because of the person that he is and because I love him. And you have to ask yourself, for those of you that are criticizing Derek Carr for being there verbally for Henry Ruggs, what you have to ask yourself at this point is someone who has been like a little brother who you have mentored since the day he was drafted, the relationship and the bond, the special bond that he's had with this individual person, this particular person, through the pandemic, through the offseason workouts last year, what would you do? If you had someone that close make that mistake, you would be upset, you would be angry, but at the same token, you would be worried, you would be concerned. Let's unless you, in, you know, I mean, if we, if we talk about our workplace, right? Unless you work with, you know, you work with someone and something like this happens, right? And unless you're in a position where you're like, I didn't like that person anyway, so I'm going to go public, F them. Like, it ain't that this easy is a different workplace. In, 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 you know, immediately emotionally just to go, you know what? Screw it, terrible person. I know, I know a lot of people want the players to say that, but it ain't that easy. No. And, and, and put and, yourself in the same place. What happened was terrible. It is unforgivable. It is indefensible. It sucks. It is. And the fact that, there, you know, I had um, – it is. it is. You, I, I know what you're talking about, and you see the, the different responses. You see the different reactions – um, there are so many people that are angry with the remarks from Derek Carr and, and Rich Basaccia, but again, you know, this is a guy who's the leader of the team. I just wish I could have done something. I look at it that way. Wish could I have done anything to help, even when it seems impossible? Is there anything I could have done better? He, Carr wants to know, and people are saying, "Oh, well, he's making it about himself." No, he's not, because he's not only thinking when he's saying, "Is there something I could have done?" that Henry could have known that he could have called me at 3.30 in the morning to come get him, it also means this is a guy who's genuinely saying that I could have, and I heard what Xavier said, but he also means that could have preserved the life of Tina Tintor. It's Willie. It's Cofield. Silver Sevens. Uh, we turn the page. We'll get back to what the Raiders are saying the last couple of days about the uh, death of Tina Tintor, the 23-year-old who uh, apparently – Worked at the Target. I'm guessing the Target right of the street there on Rainbow. We'll get into the college football playoff. More reactions. Start looking ahead to this college football weekend as one of our college football insiders from Stadium. He's on Twitter at In the Bleachers. Michael Felder is up on Cofield and Company. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune up today by calling 577-2600. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver 7s with Cofield and Company. Thursday means college football preview. That means Michael Felder from Stadium is up with Cofield and company. And, man, I love this time of year. I love the college football playoff rankings. Were you mad? What do you think of the CFP and what they came out with? Uh, it's it's what I expected it to be, really. Like, there were – I was of two minds, Steve. So, I was of the mindset that 
they're going to leave Alabama and Ohio State out to rile those guys up and, you know, make for better, make for really dramatic television, or they're going to leave Cincinnati out and make everyone who wants Cincinnati in be very upset. And so they opted for the second route, and that's what they've done. And so we'll see what's going to happen. Um, we'll see what happens moving forward, but it's going to be really hard for Cincinnati to move up. You know what I mean? I just I love the way you put it because it matches what I said. Like I don't want to rain on the parade because I, I I do love it. I love gambling on the whole thing. But when you said what basically what makes for dramatic TV, I've told people mm-hmm. all week, and I've told them in the past, these rankings are a TV show, and yep. that, that's what it is. They're 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 basically uh, picking a position, and then let's see what unfolds from there. Bingo! It's 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 all theater, right? Like the whole thing, and like that's what I I told I've tried to tell people is. You have to, instead of looking at it as what you think is the best or with your rooting interest, the reality of it is this is a television miniseries that lasts for, what, six weeks, seven weeks? It's Lonesome Dove, right? With the two-hour season finale (laughs) that Sunday after championship week. Like, that's what it is. Uh, And I'll tell you right now, the the notion and it's you know since he doesn't control its own destiny but the notion that since he has no chance to make the final four is sure. completely ridiculous and I'll have to look up the odds if I could bet Cincinnati to make the final four right now I absolutely would bet it and I would have no hesitation doing so the teams in front of them uh, I think three of the four if not two of the four well they're, they're six but the teams in the final four will lose there's there's too many tough matchups yeah. there's too much depth in these conferences they will lose. They're going to play each other, and that's the other part of this, right, where Ohio State's going to play Michigan State in a couple weeks, and Georgia and Alabama are going to play in the SEC championship game. They're going to play each other. So we'll see what happens, and then then you get into the, the, the Oklahomas and the Michigans of it all, who can move up, and then obviously, don't forget, we've got an undefeated Wake Forest team that's just kind of hanging around at number nine. So this will all be very interesting. Uh, like, I think realistically going all the way i think from 12 and up everyone has an opportunity to get in there they have to take care of business and then after 12 is where you're like oh they're just putting teams in to put teams all right so let's get to wake right off the bat uh to remain in this thing and move forward with an unbeaten record they're on the road at your tar heels and they're actually getting two and a half they're getting two and a half as a team in the in the top twelve, but we've seen this a lot with the odds makers. They don't care about the rankings. These are power rankings. Uh, what do you think? Tar Heels two and a half. Yeah, I mean, listen, if this is all about which Sam plays better, right? Sam Hartman or Sam um, Howell? It, it, this is going to be a pedal to the metal football. I think for all the fans that were everyone that that you know, like Illinois and Penn State was horrendous in terms of nine overtimes and all that. This will be one of those games where people are, if it goes to nine overtimes, people would be happy because they'd just be scoring nonstop. So this is going to be – UNC's defense is not good. Wake's defense is not very good either. And But both offenses live on explosive plays and pushing the ball down the field. And so it's going to be which defense gets – I'm not even going to say a stop. Which defense gets a turnover or two turnovers? That's going to be the difference in this football game. I, uh, you know, I will defend the CFP from this standpoint because a lot of people, you know, say, oh, it's, you know, it's ruined things. It actually is. It's heightened the regular season at the end so much. Like Michigan this week, I would really fear a Michigan uh, bubble burst. The unbeaten record is gone. I would, this would be a flat spot normally against Indiana. But, you know, because they see the rankings and their, their upper mobility in front of them, I think they will come out and be somewhat fired up against Indiana. Am I wrong? No, I don't think you're wrong about that. I, I think the reason might be wrong. I don't. I don't agree on the reason. I think they're going to be fired up and go to do it because this is one of those teams that they can take advantage of, right? So 
Michigan, the problem for them is explosive plays. This is a game where they can do what they usually do. Uh, against Michigan State, they did they they copied a lot of Western Kentucky's game plan and incorporated that into what they were able to do. And obviously, that's how they built that thirty to fourteen lead and got out in front. And then when Michigan State started running off these explosive plays against the defense that had not been tested all year, Michigan panicked and tried to go back into who they are, which was basically trying to play keep away. And against Indiana, they're bigger, faster, they're stronger. They should go back. I I, I will be surprised. If Cade McNamara throws the ball over twenty times this, this week, <laughs> uh, go right? on. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I that that's his style, and, and and I'm not even sure that Cade McNamara should be throwing over twenty times. He's he's wildly inaccurate at times. Yes, and, and it's but it was but we saw him throw the ball what forty four times, and yeah. then JJ McCarthy got a couple throws in there as well. They think they had almost fifty pass attempts against Michigan State. Why Michigan State's not good against the pass, so they did something that was different because they knew they had to do something different to beat this football team. But then as soon as things got tight, things got tough, they bottled it up and were like, oh, no. You know, they got, in the words of our guy, Bomani Jones, they got that uh, lemon booty. <laughs> yeah, the Michigan State spot this week is interesting. But before we get to Purdue, uh, let's go back to the college football playoff and the yep. fact that they're in the Final Four. Vegas numbers will tell us, the bookmakers are telling us, they would have the number right now, Alabama, Michigan State, on a neutral, somewhere between 18 and a half and 20. We yeah, get that spread. Sounds- that sounds right. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, listen, I think it's somewhere between two and a half and three touchdowns. That's the way I kind of look at things. And, yeah, the problem is Michigan is Alabama's not going to be worried about their speed. It's not going to be exciting or fun for them in terms of trying to find ways to get Speedy Naylor or Kenneth Walker or Reed find, finding what. Alabama is going to work on stopping those explosive plays. Like they deal with it already. Like you, you think about it and for them from an offensive standpoint, not from a defensive standpoint, but from an offensive standpoint, Tennessee and Florida fit right into kind of that same mold of what they do. And we saw the Florida game go tight. We saw Alabama adjust and start to communicate defensively. And then the Tennessee game, they were able to get to, to make the stops and, 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 and run away with it. I think Michigan state is obviously better than Tennessee, but at the same time, they do a lot of the same things as Tennessee, uh, even without the threat and without the threat of a running quarterback. I think you also really are painting yourself into a corner against Alabama. So the number doesn't bother me. Michigan State going to beat Purdue? I think so. I think it's going to be probably higher scoring than most people think because Purdue is also an explosive team. And Purdue is a team that can do what Western Kentucky does. And Purdue is a team that can do what Michigan tried to do, which is throw the football. And the difference between Purdue and Michigan is Purdue's going to commit to throwing the football and hitting in the intermediates and finding those spaces. They're going to do that for four quarters, not for two and a half. And that's the difference here. So Michigan State's defense is going to have a long day, but their offense has the explosiveness to get it going. And by the way, if you haven't been watching George Karlaftis, you got to check him out. The mental side of um, these players who are involved in the mix in the CFP is fascinating, you know, from week to week. Yep. I wonder how Cincy reacts. Are they tight because they're outside looking in, or do they come out on a homecoming and just annihilate Tulsa as they're laying three-plus touchdowns? Yeah, I think that they're going to start destroying teams. I think that will be good for their offense because the offense has to prove what they can do. And every like, I had some Oklahoma fan tweet at me the halftime score when, when, it, when the Cincinnati and, and, and Tulane game went to half. They were like 30-14 to 14 versus 14-12. to 12. Oklahoma, you're going to tell me Oklahoma and Cincinnati belong in the same conversation? I was like, the game ended up being 40 to 35. So, yeah, Cincinnati's not going to give up 
21 points in the second half, and they didn't. And they came out and they got it done. But Cincinnati's a slow, probing offense that looks for spots, and I think this may energize them in a way to um, realize, and going back to the days of the old BCS, style points might count. And so they might start have to t- start tacking on style points. The you know the, the funny thing about Oklahoma fan you know getting after you at, at halftime, I bet you if you talk to we'll we'll go off the record with the fans. If you talk to most Oklahoma fans, they know what's coming. They know yeah. a loss is coming. They know what this team is. The uh, they're about where they should be. They've been on the precipice of losing in too many spots this year. Yep. Yeah, and I, obviously a change of quarterback has changed their ability to be explosive, but. He also doesn't know what he's doing a lot of the time. And I don't think enough people realize that there's not a huge gap. And like they're playing at the same time as Florida and Georgia. And Caleb Williams and Anthony Richardson are both having the same problems. The difference is one is having those problems against Texas Tech, which he can solve for himself. And the other one's having those problems against Georgia, which lead to incomplete passes, uh, tackles for loss, sacks, the whole deal. That's the difference here. Not Not their ability or grasp of the offense. I want to talk about Baylor in a second, but I, before that, I wanted to address what just went down the last couple of weeks with Texas Tech and TCU. Yeah. What's your read on this? Like the, the race to get the next coaching prospect? I don't know if it's the race to get the next guy. I think it's more, I don't even know what the word is for opposite of race, but it's basically the idea is we need to, we need to, it's basically it's we need to end this, we need to end the race right now so that he doesn't have a chance to make up ground. Yep. And that's what it is. Like it's it's not it's it's not the race to get someone new because the someone new that they're going to get, he's already got a job, whether it's in the NFL or it's in um, whether it's in the NFL or it's in college football. That guy's already got a job. You're you have to wait to hire him anyway. He's not going to help you with recruiting. The only exception, obviously, is Georgia Southern, who hired Clay Helton, who had been fired by USC, which was amazing. Right. But well, other, but unless you're hiring someone from television. You're not going to get a head start on anybody. And so the reality of it is, is what we're seeing is they don't want to be in the coach O at USC situation, right? Where he had a strong finish and people thought he should be the head coach. They don't want to be in the Bill Stewart at West Virginia situation where he, he kind of wins out. And ultimately the team petitions for him to be the head coach, do it now, get him out, get him gone. Who cares how the season ends? And then we can, at least mentally transition to somebody else is going to be coaching this football team. Have you talked to Big 12 people and TCU people? I mean, I, I would have to think yeah. the feeling is that um, Gary Patterson at 61 years old isn't done coaching, is he? I think he's done. Really? Yeah. And I, I, the, the big thing for me, talking to some of the Big 12 folks, I talked to a couple guys that actually played at TCU. He's still going to be beloved. He'll be an ambassador. I think he's going to be uh, – Somewhere in the world of, in the realm of Barry Alvarez and Philip Fulmer and uh, Tom Osborne, like he's going to live in that world. Like it's going to take some time for him to kind of mend fences because they wanted him out. But they asked him to finish coaching the year and he said no. So he's still upset about that. But I do think that he's going to continue. I mean, the guy's got a statue on campus. He's going to remain an ambassador for that program in the long term. I think in the short term, he just needs a break and then he can come back and really help out. Well. They should honor him because, uh, you know, he's one of the guys, if not the guy who paved the way to go from the yeah. have-nots to the haves, and that is so gigantic now. Being From a, the whack yep. 
he was an assistant coach when they were in the WAC to move to Conference USA, to move to the Mountain West, to get into the Big 12. Amazing. They aren't in the Big 12 without Gary Patterson, and yep. I think they are going to be forever uh, appreciative of that. Your Tape Don't Lie podcast this week, you uh, talked to uh, Charles Arbuckle. We, yeah. uh, we like him. He's on our show often. You guys talked about nice. tight ends? Yeah, we did. It's, it's really fun. It's, it's, he gives you a little history lesson. He talks about like John Mackey and Ozzie Newsome, and then he brings in – you know, Tony Gonzalez, but we also talked about what tight ends do. Like we talked about what routes you can run from different alignments. We, well, actually we get to go back. We talked about different tight end alignments and we got into like the nub formation and we talked about inline versus flex versus wing versus slot and all these things. So it, it, it's a show where it doesn't matter what football you watch, what team you root for. We don't talk about specific teams very often. We talk a lot about the, the, just the general concepts of football and I'm going to try to put together a companion piece um, for a visual to show where different alignments are with tight ends because I don't think a lot of folks realize that these guys can line up a bunch of different ways and create a lot of chaos. Yeah, I watched the kid last week. I don't know that he'll get drafted, but uh, up in Reno, you know, he was taking on Nevada. Yeah. And Cole Turner is a really interesting guy. He's mm-hmm. a little, you know, in the rear end. He's about probably 235, but he's 6'7", a good hands, you know, box out guy, high point yep. guy. So um, even being a light guy, he probably has a place in the NFL at some point. Yeah, he reminds me of like like he's he. There's a guy Alec Pierce who plays at uh he plays wide receiver actually at Cincinnati, but they do a lot of the same things. And then also, uh, I mean, come on, Jimmy Graham was lighting the pants, and guess what? He he made a living on it. No doubt, no doubt. Uh, Charles Arbuckle is also very much into grilling. We've had conversations about yeah. that. Did you show Charles the wings that you showed the rest of us on social media a couple of days ago? My God. I don't know if he saw them, but yeah, those salt and pepper wings were were divine. They were really good. I'm actually about to, to finish off those leftovers now. Uh, but I wouldn't be doing the job I have right now without the confidence of Buck. I used to, when I was, this is like 2008, 2007, my best friend's little brother and his and Arbuckle's son played on the same high school football team. And there used to be a group of former college and pro football players that we all used to stand away from everybody else and talk about football together. <laughs> And Buck really encouraged me to like get out there and like you got to write this stuff down or you got to say put it on a podcast. He's like, you got really, you know, football. You got really good thoughts about football. So yeah, it was. Can you imagine like guys ranging from like sixty-five year olds down to twenty-four year olds? But all of us have played college football together. All of us have played college football. We all just kind of stood together and just talked ball, and it was. That's what I kind of want tape don't lie to be, but with more access points for the casual fan. I'm telling you, folks, if you get a chance to peek in on conversations like that, because I get to more and more now, you know, yeah. be around real football people, and it, it, it blows you away. The stuff that, like the casual, we have no idea uh, what these guys know, what they've seen, and also the evolution of the game. These are amazing conversations. Yeah, it's, it's fun. It's good. So hopefully folks check out. It's Tape Don't Lie, uh, the podcast. You can find it on every, anywhere you find podcasts. There is Michael Felder from Stadium. Check out the podcast. Mike, thanks, man. It's always fun. For our Thursday college football experts, Michael Felder right here on Cofield and Company. A spot today is brought to you by Nova Home Loans, where they have low fees and the best combination of service and rates. You can call right now, get that mortgage tuned up, or if you're looking to buy a new home, Nova is the spot. 577-2600. You got to do it now because the interest rates are still at record lows. They're going to go up eventually, so jump on board now, 577-2600, and talk to Dustin DeHart. And if you're renting, come on. The rental rates right now are through the roof. It's time to stop paying a landlord and buy your own house. Get all the information, a quick consultation, a quick sit down with Dustin DeHart. 
Give them a call at Nova Home Loans, 577-2600. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. He's got great command of his system, and the quarterback has a lot on his play at the line of scrimmage. I know in that system, he's calling a lot of plays at the line of scrimmage. He's an accurate thrower. He's a smart thrower the football. He's taking care of the ball. Like I said, he's operating a quarterback position at the highest, one of the highest levels in the league right now. you got to give him his respect. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver Sevens with Cofield and Company. You know, while the Raiders are trying to stick to football, it's not easy with what happened this week with Tina Tintor and the Henry Ruggs crash. The Giants are dealing with plenty of distractions as well. Uh, they've got some buffoons on the team making stupid comments. We'll get to that with Kadarius Tony, But they're also dealing with an outbreak Maybe it's not. Might be all mostly false positives with COVID. Um, on the way back there, you hear Logan Ryan talking football and talking about Derek Carr and his acumen. And uh, Logan Ryan, a guy who's bounced around the league, you know, has some Super Bowls. Back to the Patriots and the highly educated guy, highly educated guy, New Jersey guy too. Um, all right, so let's talk about the latest with the COVID situation because at a minimum, even if there are false positives. It's affecting 13 or 14 different people, at least the, the, you know, last we saw. That breaks your rhythm. It breaks your practice. So you wonder where the Giants are going to be if they're only getting back to normal, like middle of the day tomorrow, Willie, or Saturday. Yeah, I mean, you, because you get in a rhythm, you get, you, you're used to your system, and now they're set back. They limited access to the facility after the lab handling the COVID testing had a it was an unusually high number of false positives is what's being reported. So uh, the Giants said that several players and coaches had false positives today. So it forced the team to cancel in-facility morning meetings for players and to close the office to non-football staff. So play, some players and coaches were sent home, later brought back to the building, and it disrupts a lot of things. You know, rookie running back George, uh, Gary Brightwell joined fellow running back Saquon Barkley, starting safety Xavier McKinney on the reserve COVID list. Um, the uh, Kenny Galladay, uh, he was limited in practice with just a regular knee injury. Uh, Matt Skura, who was on the COVID list, he was cleared, and he was a full participant today. Uh, as I mentioned, Gary Brightwell, Saquon, they did not participate uh, Kyle Rudolph did not participate. Uh, Non-injury related, personal. John Ross was limited with a quad injury. You look at the Giants injury list, and it 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 looks like what we were staring at with the Raiders just a couple of weeks ago in just you know double digits here of what they're dealing with. They had one, two, three, six, eight players did not participate today either because of a legitimate injury or. COVID protocol, whereas the Raiders, Jonathan Hankins, John Simpson are on the list. Hankins with neck uh, neck injury, Simpson with a knee, but full participants both yesterday and today. They're just listed on the injury report. Yeah, the Giants, as far as being a dangerous opponent, uh, opponent, they're impossible to read because you just mentioned one of the big factors this year are the injuries. They've been just decimated. We had... You know, one of our hometown heroes, a uh, lineman from Bishop Gorman, who freaking you know had his leg destroyed early in the season. That sucked. Um, the receivers have been beat up. Barkley's been down for much of the season. They're injured on defense in places. But all that said, you wonder if everyone was there, if they would win, because Joe Judge just seems 
overwhelmed by this task, overmatched by this job, doesn't he? Yeah, I'm just not sure if even if they were fully healthy, if he's going to get outcoached in certain situations and if they have the talent to play a cohesive brand of football on both sides of the ball, um, based on the, the, the competition that they have to face. You know, they're playing an AFC West schedule. They're playing an NFC East schedule in that, you know, the Eagles are a team that could possibly be better um, the Cowboys are obviously better than what a lot of people expected. They expected the Cowboys and the football team to somewhat challenge, but a lot of people had Washington, Pennsylvania. I know I did for first place. Dallas is a wild card. It's flipped. Dallas is 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 playing well um, without Dak. And then Dak, I saw today, is the the expectations are he's going to play. So um, I'm not sure that that he can out coach the the coaches that he's facing. Yeah, and then. The team is built by Gettleman, and you just see in spots immaturity, a lack of character. I don't want to get on Kenny Galladay, but he's been hurt the entire year. You know, he got a gigantic deal, and he can't stay healthy. And then there's Kadarius Tony. I mean, if you draft a guy in the first round, a lot of people didn't think they needed a receiver. The pick was curious. And then... He's bitching a couple of weeks into the season about not getting the ball. Okay, that's a bad sign. And then what he did yesterday, it's just, it's stupid. It's immature. It's childish. It's a bad look for the team. It's a bad look for him. Kadarius Tony goes on social media, and now he's going to talk about Henry Ruggs and the reaction to Henry Ruggs. Like, bro, what are you doing? He writes, we young. Everybody makes mistakes. Y'all looking at the situation like this or that because it ain't y'all. Having so much to say, he know he messed up. Uh, don't drag him for it. That's goofy to me. Just pray for the families involved. You know what? I'm, I'm getting a little tired of people saying take the high road. People can do what they want. All right? And I guess in, in this case, Kadarius Tony did what he wanted. So, hey, we can sit here and listen to it. But I, I can tell you, in the court of popular opinion, this did not go over well. Uh, Damian Woody, a former NFL player in that market said some of y'all youngins don't believe in accountability is the problem a person was killed because of a terrible decision and then tony instead of like looking at it and going oh maybe i shouldn't have sent this out saying that don't drag henry ruggs for it that's goofy he then responds to damian woody by then puffing out his chest and going tough talking don't phase me gangsta with a couple of laughing faces it's not just this comment. It's that he's already had a social media faux pas. Put the phone down, all right? You're barely in the league. You're with a team that it, like has such perception issues from the GM to the coach. You're a giant pain in the ass with this stuff. This is the last thing they need. But I got to tell you, it's, it's kind of it's emblematic of what the Giants have been. It's been a friggin' circus. And this is the latest guy, the latest great talent they bring into the mix. Come on. And you know why, to go back to our first exchange, why this would not be a better team if everyone were healthy and why Judge wouldn't have a handle on it is because one thing, and here's why I don't think that what took place this week will affect them on the field and the Raiders are going to probably go out there and get the win, 
is the one thing that we have praised this Raiders team and why they've been resilient is because of offseason acquisitions and bringing veterans and having leaders that have been strong enough to step up in the locker room and point things out. I'm looking at the current depth chart. Join me on this depth chart and you tell me how they match a team like the Raiders that have leaders and people that can tell, go and get in this kid's face and tell them, shut the heck up because guess what? We got a game to prepare for, but when you look at that Raiders, to your point, the Raiders, the Raiders have that now. Yes, they went out um, um, mostly on the advice of Gus Bradley and brought in new people to be leaders, some to be impact players on the defense, and they've made a difference. Not only that, on the field and off the field, every unit. That was one of the biggest points going into the season was that every unit has a leader. From KJ Wright to Denzel Perriman to Derek Carr to uh, even Kenyon Drake, he's got some years on him. So every unit on both sides of the ball. How many? How many energy vampires you think are on? Right, that wasn't that the term that Gruden used when he was. Uh, no. He was referencing. Was it? Yeah. Ari knows that well because we busted Ari's chops for months calling him an energy vampire. Is that what it was? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Talking about Trent Brown. Oh. Right? Without saying addition by subtraction, was saying addition by subtraction. No energy vampires. We don't need them. I got you. I understand. And, and unfortunately, the Giants, yeah, the Giants have, they've, they already had some issues, and then they've added people like, uh, were these good additions? You know, and, and, you're, and all of this, I mean, the, obviously, the receiver thing, and I don't, I don't mean to be flippant because what just happened with Henry Ruggs is, like, unimaginable. But managing the receiver core, because we know it's a position – that can be a bit more dramatic than others. It's so important. Like with Derek Carr, it's one thing. Derek Carr's been in the league. Yeah. With Daniel Jones, who's got to fight his own battles, you know, against the New York media and you know people, they they hated the pick in the top ten, and then you put character issue guys around him at receiver. Like how does he have a fighting chance? That's the other thing that you bring up is the market. I mean, that's a. That's they see, a, they that's see a everything. Rough they, they they want this stuff to happen. The competition is fierce. So Kadarius Tony is just feeding the beast by making comments, telling people lay off a of Henry Ruggs. And I'll compare. He finds, it. It, he finds criticism goofy. I'll compare it. You know, I mean, because I'm not going to get completely off topic here, but I will compare it when they hired. Gerard Gallant, they brought in a guy like Ryan Reeves, and you build up that range. They talked about can they handle that market. You're absolutely right that they they can handle that market. So that's what's a bigger problem. That could be a bigger problem with this team is no leadership, lack of veteran experience to to grab stranglehold of that locker room, and can Judge handle this? You got – I mean, talk about distractions on and off the field. I mean, the Raiders are dealing with what they're dealing with from an email scandal to an absolute horrific tragedy, RIP Tina Otentor. The Giants are creating problems for themselves, and this guy's probably at his last wit's end. And I'm sure Joe Judge, who, like I said, is overmatched. He can't manage the clock. He seems unprepared at times. Then he's got to go out and address Kadarius Toney. So he says, this is a really, really good person. He really is. All right, I, I don't know. I don't know what he's supposed to say. I don't know if he's supposed to smash him, but you know people are going to be rubbed uh, you know, in the incorrect way on that. And then you got headset gate last week where he's complaining about the headsets. It's just like this feels like a disaster. But, you know, they can, in a way, turn around their season against the Raiders who you know aren't exactly, I would guess, 100% uh, concentrating on this game because they've been distracted uh, for good reasons the last couple of days. Here's Gus Bradley talking about prepping. 
you go through everybody, you know, and you talk about their skill set and, hey, we don't know who we're going to see, but let's just make sure we cover everybody and have a good understanding. So we try to take parts of the day and talk about their personnel, especially earlier in the week. And then, you know, we go from there and then it kind of switches to more. It's about us, you know, and how we do things. So. You know, we, we've addressed it and say, hey, you got to be ready for anybody, you know, can show up. But uh, it's the NFL. We know that we're going to see real good players as, as they have shown. You know, and a lot of that's referencing the situation with uh, Saquon Barkley, both from a health standpoint and his COVID status. Here's a little more Bradley talking about Daniel Jones, who we were, you know, we were just mentioning if they could just, you know, give Jones a, a, a stable environment, atmosphere to play, and he might reach the next level and develop into a damn good quarterback. I really like him now. Uh, I think that you can see on tape that he's getting better and better. Uh, you know, the decision-making, I know that the turnovers are issues that, you know, happen with all teams, and everybody wants to alleviate that part of it. But the decision-making, the poise that he plays with, he's a threat to run. Here we have another task where a guy's got over 200 yards rushing. So you put all that, he's definitely a threat that we have to to understand and affect some of the things we do coverage-wise. Silver 7's NFL Special. Two 22-ounce drafts, two hot dogs, and two bags of chips for just seven seventy-seven.